This is Expert Insights, Physician Views and News, a clinical podcast from the Christ Hospital Health Network. Here's your host, Melanie Cole. From strokes to brain tumors to degenerative disc disease and more, neurosurgery at the Christ Hospital Health Network offers patients a broad range of expert neurological care. My guest today is Dr. Mark Magner. He's a neurosurgeon with the Christ Hospital Health Network. Welcome to the show, Dr. Magner. So tell us a little bit about your area of expertise and give us a general update in the world of neurosurgery today. Sure. Well, thank you very much for having me. So uh, I do all of neurosurgery here at Christ Hospital. I will say that um, I do uh, a fair amount of uh, cranial surgery, a lot of times for brain tumors, also, uh, sometimes, and certainly emergent management of hemorrhages, such as intracerebral hemorrhages, and then sometimes other uh, more common uh, cranial abnormalities, such as Chiari syndrome or even facial pain. And then certainly, I also do uh, spinal work like any uh, neurosurgeon, so a lot of people with neck pain, back pain, and, and et cetera, so kind of do it all. Then let's talk about some of the newer treatment modalities available. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, really pretty neat updates in neurosurgery in general, and, and uh, Christ kind of at the leading edge and, and have them all. Yeah, one of the biggest aspects, I would say, of uh, um, cranial or brain tumor surgery recently has been the combined use of formal surgery, of brain surgery, with radiosurgery. So uh, it used to be would do surgery, and then uh, uh, someone could have whole brain radiation if they fail. And then as we started to develop radio surgery, which is pinpoint precision uh, radiation right to a brain tumor, uh, a lot of uh, uh, oncologists, radiation oncologists, and and patients were looking towards that. Uh, However, uh, we've got kind of a good, makes good kind of teamwork where we can often do surgery uh, and then followed by radiosurgery just to the sort of the remnant or the outer region of uh, where a brain tumor was. And patients uh, typically do very well. Used to be in the past, uh, we had very sort of large, um, large incisions, had to, surgery was sort of um, a very, very uh, darn near gruesome sort of experience and patients are in the hospital for many days. But we have um, basically stereotaxis in, in surgery now where we can use a computer uh, computer imaging to bring up someone's um, MRI directly into the operating room, and I can literally point to a portion of their brain. It can show me exactly where I am on their MRI, and this allows uh, smaller incisions, uh, shaving only minimal parts of hair, removing only uh, small portions of the skull, and, uh, and so people do really well with these surgeries, often only needing to be one night or two nights in the hospital and generally feeling well. And then quickly thereafter, within two weeks, we can actually start radio surgery. So again, high beam uh, precision radiation to that region where someone had a tumor and uh, uh, the outcomes are excellent. It uh, affords uh, a very, very quick relief of symptoms from a brain tumor from the surgery standpoint, but then all the excellent uh, uh, benefits you get with radiation of zapping any sort of microscopic uh, tumor cells that might be left behind. Um, it's, it's really been sort of a game changer in neurosurgery, and certainly we have that here at Christ, and I think our patients are benefiting very well. So if intracerebral hemorrhage accounts for about 15% of all strokes, but it's one of the more disabling forms of stroke, focus a little for us on the minimally invasive cranial treatments for ICH. Yeah, so intracerebral hemorrhage has been a devastating diagnosis uh, uh, really for the beginning of time. And 50 years ago, 
uh, we started trying to do surgery and, and kind of big, big, big surgeries in the brain to try to evacuate or remove these blood clots. We'd have to remove so much normal brain to get there. And so uh, um, patients did not do well. As we started developing uh, stereotaxis, getting sort of pinpoint, pinpoint accuracy for uh, finding hemorrhages, though we've been able to tailor making smaller and smaller incisions. And now <clears throat> we have uh, a couple of neat options. One one is still technically in the research stage, but it's very promising where we can put a tiny catheter uh, directly into uh, a hemorrhage and actually inject TPA, which is the clot-busting agent that's been used in ischemic stroke for 30 years. We can put that TPA directly into the hemorrhage to try to break down the hemorrhage and allow it to drain out of the catheter, so a tiny tube. So you remove the, remove the hemorrhage, decrease mass effect, but then you, uh, um, but you don't actually invade normal brain tissue. It's pretty special. We can also do that same when people have hemorrhage that's into the ventricles or the, the fluid sacs of the brain can cause uh, a swelling of the brain and, uh, and ultimately death if not treated effectively. We could put catheters directly into those fluid sacs and do the same, inject this TPA, the clot-busting agent, to break it down. So when, when TPA was first sort of developed 30 years ago, people were really afraid that it would cause hemorrhages of the brain, and it's really uh, very neat that we've come full circle, and not only are we no longer as afraid of TPA as we once were, but we're actually using it for these uh, brain hemorrhages, and and the, the preliminary data that's been coming out over the past couple of years is very impressive, and what used to be a 60% chance of death with an intraventricular hemorrhage, hemorrhage in your uh, the fluid sacs of the brain, 50% of those people now are, are walking on their own within six months, so uh, we've made tremendous progress, and it's extremely exciting. Wow, absolutely fascinating, Dr. Magner. So now speak about artificial disc replacement and cervical spine because people hear that and what used to be done is certainly what's, you know, different than what you're doing now today. Speak about the differences. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, uh, cervical cervical disc disease, having a herniated disc or collapse of a disc and catching a nerve, is it's been a common problem. It's been treated um, <clears throat> many different ways over the past sixty years, and uh, really what we found is that you have once you remove the disc and you, whatever's pinching a nerve, you've really cured that nerve. But if you don't put anything where that space used to be where the disc was, it'll often collapse down, and that can cause uh, basically malalignment of the neck and increased neck pain. And so we started uh, 50 years ago basically putting pieces of, of a patient's hip right there where that disc used to be to keep the disc space propped open allowed those bones to fuse as one. That was a fantastic procedure, uh, an anterior cervical discectomy infusion. And as we, uh, as our technology has improved over the last 50 years, we've gotten uh, uh, donated bones, sometimes synthetic cages that can go in that space. But actually by 2007, the FDA approved the United States artificial disc for this. And then over the past two or three years, we actually have um, more devices that are FDA approved. And, and the idea is that you can put a spacer now in to keep the disc space uh, propped open. You no longer have to fuse the, tube, the bone above or below as one solid piece of bone. So you maintain normal mobility of the neck. Uh, which is uh, very, very helpful in terms of uh, recovery, but also helps limit the degeneration or the or the or, or changes to the alignment of the spine. Uh, 
through the future. The other thing is uh, when you're trying to get bones to fuse is one, uh, we typically try to limit the NSAIDs medications such as uh, ibuprofen or, or, or naproxen. And uh, since you're not trying to fuse the bones as one, you can actually use those medications very quite liberally. And therefore, people can have uh, better pain control, limit narcotics, and so get back to driving, get back to work much faster. And so for procedure, uh, uh, this is a procedure that typically we're doing as an outpatient now, and people are doing really well with, with limited narcotics. It's, it's very exciting, actually. Wow. And did you say that it's been shown to have at least equivalent results to the anterior cervical disc? So we don't have a tremendous amount of data compared to the 50, 60 years uh, with, with the fusion, but, but it's been used in Europe for before that. And even the data that we have here in the United States over the past 10 years, we have a, 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 at least two large meta-analyses. So research papers that kind of pulled all the research studies to, together have shown basically uh, equivalence in terms of um, uh, ability to decompress the nerve or get your the, the neck pain better but and and so it's just as safe as a fusion however then you're bypassing some of the potential negative aspects of a and fusion, like I said such as not being able to use the insets or uh, changing the the neck mobility in the future so doctor what are some valuable prognostic tools to aid in diagnosis for neuro and how important is the early diagnosis as being crucial to improve outcome prediction for some of these types of conditions? Yeah, I'll tell you, um, certainly the mainstays of treatment in any uh, hospital would be CAT scan and MRI, which are, of course, extremely helpful. But one of the, the really neat uh, sort of cutting-edge modalities that's going to separate Christ Hospital from really from the other hospitals in, in the region, say for major academic centers, is uh, continuous EEG capabilities. If someone is having a seizure, most of us think of, of what used to be called the, the grand mal seizures, a tonic-clonic seizure, someone shaking on the ground, and that, and that can be quite obvious. But there are much more subtle seizures when you're dealing with brain tumors, hemorrhages, stroke, et cetera, that where someone may not be shaking all over, and yet they're comatose, and, and it's because they're, they're actually seizing. And if you just do uh, an EEG, an electroencephalogram, uh, uh, where you kind of check the brain waves, if you just do that once in a while, someone may not be seizing at that moment, but if you were to continually do it for a period, of, let's say, of 24 hours, you might catch very small seizures here or there. And... Uh, uh, and, and the game changer aspect is those are typically so well treated. If we if we can increase or change someone's anti seizure medications, take someone who who looks um, very very who, who looks like perhaps they're even drifting into a coma and potentially save their life. And so for that reason, it's become very important to in, in research centers to try to, to try to get continuous EEG where we can monitor the brain waves uh, for well for as long as we like, certainly 24 hours, but often even up to 72 hours. But at, at regional hospitals, uh, it, it's just so expensive that it usually hasn't been done. And so either uh, docs, if someone were comatose, would either have to choose to just do a spot EEG once in a while um, or to transfer these patients. Well, here at Christ, we're, we're actually... Um, 
nearly complete in our uh, ability to, essentially, uh, we've partnered with the epileptologist at the University of Cincinnati, where here they're going to remotely read our EEGs. We'll, we'll, their patients here at, at Christ Hospital have the EEGs, uh, continuous EEGs performed. These epileptologists will be able to confirm if someone's having a seizure or not, and then we'll be able to much more accurately diagnose the patients, but keep them right here at Christ Hospital where they want to be. You're surrounded by their other oncologists radiation oncologists, et cetera. I think this is going to be um, uh, really a huge win for any neurologic patient at Christ Hospital. And, and I certainly hope that we'll be able to be sort of, uh, you know, a guide for other hospitals and how they can deliver great care where you can kind of set up all the infrastructure of your hospital but outsource with an academic center to have, you know, specialist epileptologists uh, looking at it for these sort of rare, very difficult cases. Um, I, think it's, I think it's a very very special thing that we've worked very hard here at Christ to get over the last couple of years. I'm excited that it's going to get started here very shortly. What does current research indicate for future developments and treatments? And give us a little blueprint for future research. Yeah, so I would say that a lot of research, a lot of research uh, in, from neurosurgery standpoint, certainly going into our use of combined surgery and radiosurgery, as, as I mentioned uh, earlier in our conversation, that we've got a good thing going with doing surgery followed by radiosurgery. But some of the research that's actually pretty interesting is uh, looking at even maybe doing radiosurgery uh, first and then doing surgery within uh, one or two days uh, to even try to further limit radiation uh, doses that a patient might experience. And so uh, certainly look, look forward to some of that. The other aspects of using the clot-busting agent, TPA, some of some of that is, I would say, standard of care at this point, but certainly some of what I mentioned, especially putting catheters into large hemorrhages to drain the fluid, is still in the research um, uh, phase. That's uh, uh, and so it is uh, certainly can be done and, and should be done in, for life-saving measures. But we're going to have to see how this. Um, plays out in, in large randomized trials. Uh, one of those trials is nearly complete, and, and I expect that data to be out soon. And then, of course, anything, when we're talking about spine, if it's fusion, if it's artificial disc or whatever comes in the future, we're always trying to maximize someone's mobility, limit pain, maximize mobility, and get people back to their normal life. If it's work or walking or whatever it is in between, uh, try to get it back as quickly as possible and as cost efficiently as possible. So I think uh, as we continue to improve artificial discs, um, I, I think there's a, a technological or, or engineering piece of research there, but we'll also be trying to evaluate uh, cost efficiency, make sure that we're delivering um, a good uh, a good product that helps patients, but also can be sustainable for the future. And uh, so I think there's going to be a lot of financial uh, uh, research moving forward. So in summary, Dr. Magner, please tell other physicians what you'd like them to know about neurosurgery at the Christ Hospital Health Network, when to refer, and what they can expect from your team at the Christ Hospital Health Network as far as your team approach. Yeah, well, I would say first for Christ Hospital neurosurgery, I think uh, we've we've laid a great foundation and we're growing very nicely, as I spoke about um, uh, the continuous EEG coming on, getting um, the radiation oncologists and the oncologists and, and, and the neurosurgeons on board. Uh, we also have a new hire 
Dr. Monir Tabusha started uh, mid-2017 uh, is a, uh, as a neurosurgeon with a complex scoliotic deformity focus, approached him from the University of Arkansas, and he's been a great find, and we're continuing to, to grow as well. I think... Um, uh, I, I think our program has has gained a lot of traction, and uh, uh, and the administration appears to be very much on board with helping us grow to deliver uh, fantastic um, results for our patients. In terms of referral, I'll tell you this, um, and and I and I don't mean facetious at all, but I would say as soon as a doc just is ready ready for help, we're ready. For some for some docs feel very comfortable with certain diagnoses uh, to work it up with imaging and and uh, uh, and and consultations before calling a neurosurgeon right toward, towards the end when they think surgery might be needed. I think that's very fine. But there are a lot of um, uh, difficult diagnoses or scary diagnoses, especially when you're dealing with brain tumors or hemorrhages and stroke. And and uh, I freely give out my cell phone, as does my uh, partner quite a bit, that can call at, at any point, day or night, and we're happy to look at, at the imaging if it's on, on the PAC system, the computer system, and to, to help guide uh, sort of management. So I, the bottom line is I would say a doc can reach out uh, as soon as they want. It's never, it's never uh, too late and it's never too soon. Thank you so much for being with us today. What a great segment and a great topic. You're listening to Expert Insights, Physician Views and News with the Christ Hospital Health Network. More information on Dr. Magner and all of the Christ Hospital physicians is available at tchpconnect.org. That's tchpconnect.org. This is Melanie Cole. Thanks so much for listening.